Hey, you, Prime members, you can listen to Three Little Words ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Hello, welcome to this special episode of the podcast Three Little Words, where we invite guests to bring on three words that mean something to them. And then through those words, we learn something about them and their life. And then at the end, they pick one word that they would gladly never hear again. I'm John Bishop. I'm here with Tony Pitts. And this is a special bonus episode that comes from our partners, Quorn. Now, for those people who've never heard three little words before, because we're sponsored by Quorn, every time we do a show and every episode, Tony gives us a Quorn fact. Don't you, Tony? I do, John. Uh, or as I like to call them, a quact. And this week's quact is quorn is a super protein. It's high in fibre, low in saturated fat and contains no cholesterol whatsoever. So if you're looking for cholesterol... Yeah, this isn't wrong place. Quorn sponsors this show, but they're also the protein partner of Liverpool Football Club. So that's why we've got a link with the legend that we've got on talking. And Quorn is now on the menu at the Liverpool Football Club training ground. So it's a choice for all the players. And I know more and more athletes and elite athletes are moving away from meat-based protein to look at other options. Uh, and there's a few that have gone vegan. I know uh, Hector Bellerin did, Chris Smalling did when he was at United, Sergio Aguero went vegan for pre-season, Lewis Hamilton, Novak Djokovic, Serena Williams. So there's more and more people going that way. And if you want to see an athlete who doesn't eat meat, just look at me. <laughs> So our guest today is a Liverpool legend, but he's also somebody that we thought would be great for this podcast because I know he was one of the first people who, within his career, considered nutrition as a fundamental part of preparation, which is partly, partly contributed to, what, to why he played so long and had such a successful career. He's the Liverpool legend and the Irish legend, someone who went from playing Sunday League to playing in the World Cup Finals. It's John Aldridge, although... Thanks for doing the show. Thanks for having me, John and Tony. Yeah, look yeah. forward to the next uh, half an hour, an hour or so. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing is this is a, an odd situation we have to explain to everybody. We're in Brighton in, <laughs> in, in what I can best describe as a bedsit yeah. with microphones. A, a Georgian bedsit is where we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, And John, you're at home in Liverpool and we're trying to record this and get it all together while we, while we can't see each other, which is an unusual experience for us. Such as COVID, John. Such yes, as, mate. Yeah, Jay, yeah, such yeah. as COVID. I mean, how's it, how's it been for you? Because obviously you're still involved with the club. You cover a lot of the games. So you've been in the ground, I assume, and there's been no crowd there. How's that been? Well, do, do you know, do, I have to say, we're, we're very fortunate, the ex-players, Liverpool Football Club, really look after us and... Um, we do hosting before every home game. Uh, then we we meet each other in in the Legends Lounge. We have we have a meal and we get to watch the game and have a couple of drinks. It's a great great day. I really really love it. Look forward to every single one. And unfortunately, we can't do it. You know, can't get to see the game. Can't get to see each other. But hey, that's a selfish way of looking at it. We just want to get back to back to normality so that everyone else. 40, 50, 60,000 can get watching the games, you know, week in, week out. I want to ask you, John, just as, as, as an ex-player yourself, I know you've obviously you're not played under these circumstances, but I'd imagine mm. that must be, a, I mean, I'm an actor by profession, and the idea of playing to an empty theatre, I think, could 
be bizarre. Mm. And I don't know quite if I could uh, do the, my job to the best of my ability. Is it just that the professional footballers and they get on with it? But I mean, surely it's got to have an impact on them. I think you're right, Tony. The crowd brings the best out here. You know, you're scared to make mistakes. You know, whereas if there's no crowd, you might think, well, I might be able to get away with one here type of thing. You know, yeah. the, the pressure's right on. And it does, you know, it gets you going, the intensity, they're on top of you. It, it, it makes for what football's all about. And it, it, the one thing it's showed, you know, it doesn't matter what you think about football, but it's nothing without the fans. It's it's yeah, it's really yeah, yeah. it's hard to watch. I don't know the the players feel, but it's even hard to watch games without the crowd. You know, participating in it, um, and that's something that thankfully we've all learned from. Well, hopefully the FAs and, and and football in general and the hierarchy, because the, the fans should be getting looked after more so than than ever before when we come out of this. Yeah, that's it. So listen, John, we've we've asked you to bring uh, three words that mean something to you. What what what's your first word? Just simple, dedicated. I've got, I'll go probably back back to the first word that that really me me dad was was my dad was brilliant for me and when mainly like because I was football mad, loved Liverpool from the first time I went to watch them, uh, and my dad told me if I've ever got, ever want to play football, you've got to put everything to it. He said, look, son, he said, I, he said, my dad was a big drinker and smoker and whatever. He said, you can't do what I've done in life, you know. If you're going to really be serious, you, you can't drink, don't drink, don't smoke, he said, and keep away from the girls. And, and do you know what, John? I've never smoked in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Two out of three is not bad. So quickly, John, what we do with this part of the show, I'm just going to give you a quick history of the word. It's etymology. So etymology-wise, it's first from the 14th century, meaning an action of consecrating to a deity or a sacred use. The definition that we're understanding is the act of being devoted to a task or a purpose or the act of exclusively allocated, intended for a particular purpose. And I've got a couple of quotes about dedication. Uh, Two are unknown. The first one is, dedication doesn't have an off-season. Then another one would be, the act of being devoted to a task or purpose exclusively to one thing, and then finally, Frank Lloyd Wright said, I know the price of success. The price is dedication. Dedication, hard work, and an unremitting devotion to the thing that you want to see happen. So why did you pick dedication, John? Yeah, yeah. That, that's well, I was. I was. I just wanted to be a footballer. I just every, every time... I, I, I burst so many balls, but my dad always got me another ball to go to the park. Or I was lucky, you know, Tony. The back of our house was... Um, it's like a Coronation Street style street, and and the back open the back door, and had my own fire side little little where where the house was bombed in the war. They never ever rebuilt it, so that was my little fire side there with two sticks either side. So so I was I was there I was there day in day out just practicing and practicing keeping the ball up with me. I always remember me my record was like three hundred and eighty five, keeping me head heading the ball up against the wall, keeping it you know. And just every day, just practiced and practiced and practiced, you know, you know, since my dad told me to do that, you know, and um, there's some really good words that you, you come out with there to match what I was saying, absolutely. But it's interesting as well, John, because your journey to the higher echelon to the game wasn't straightforward, was it? You came through the lower leagues. Yeah. So just tell us, when, when did you first turn professional? And when, and what at that point, what kept you still dedicated to move higher up instead of saying, "Great, I've already done it." Yeah, well, I 
I was lucky, John. The way it panned out for me, I wasn't thrown in the deep end, you know, to you know playing for Liverpool as a as a as a like a, a youth player and coming through the ranks, the B team, the A team, as such, and them dead reserves. I was I was playing Liverpool Saturday leagues and Sunday leagues, John. When you're playing you're playing against centre halves that were still still bevied from the night before, kicking you and all that type of thing. So uh, I was working in uh, British Leyland making cars like the Dolomite Sprint uh, TR7. This Triumph Stag and all that. As a toolmaker, you know, learning me trade whilst I'm playing in, in local leagues. Then South Liverpool took me on part time. I was there for uh, not even a year. You know, three quarters of a season. How old were you then? I was twenty. So can I ask you, John, so uh, so you when you were playing at South Liverpool, you'd be getting boat money, would you? You'd be getting you'd be earning a wage from from playing there. How did that money compare to what you could have been pulling at British Leyland? Do you know what? Funny story about that. I was on um, eighty £85 a week plus overtime. Now, my mate, Robin Ashurst, his brother was Len Ashurst, who was at Newport County. Well, he come to watch me play without me knowing, and he told Len that I wasn't a bad player. Len come to watch me play, and fortunately he scored a hat-trick against Frickley, 3-0, we won at home. So he wanted to sign me. And do you know what the lousy get did? He offered me £78 a week for a year, 12 months, and, and knowing that I was on, going to go on an £85 a week, plus my money for South Liverpool, plus me, me, me overtime, you know, which would have been about £120 quid a week. Yeah. And he offered me seven, 78 lousy quid a, a week, plus £10 appearance money. But I had to do it, John. I had to do it, Tony. Yeah. I had to take yeah, the gamble and, and just give yeah. it a go, you know. And how long were you at Newport for then? About nearly five years, you know. And we the first year was brilliant. We um, we we got promotion and we won the Welsh Cup, uh, which was fantastic. I was leading scorer. Um, it was like an apprenticeship in the lower leagues for me to learn from, you know, to try and vie and get up to to play for Liverpool because that was always my goal. You know, I always said I wanted to play for Liverpool. So you're telling me that you signed for Newport at 20 and played at Newport till you were 25? 24. 24, right. And what league would Newport have been in those those days? The old fourth division, but we went up to the third division. Right. So one, I played one year in the fourth division and then three years or three and a half years in the, the third division. Doesn't happen like that now, no, does it? Well, Just, this, I'm this, shaking this, my head. <laughs> I know Tony's shaking his head, but this is why I wanted to talk to you, John, because I think your story is so brilliant and it's so fantastic that you picked the way that you picked because you could have gone at 22, 23, I'm a professional footballer in the third division. Instead of going, right, I've still got more, I'm still determined, I'm still dedicated oh, yeah. to push on. And, and still having that drive to do it. So you went from Newport then to Oxford. Yeah. But do, do you know what I was doing in Newport, John? When the lads were getting in the bath after training, I'd, I'd, I got spikes, you know, like running spikes for sprinting. So I used to go on the cinder track like twice a week, three times a week, and do like 10, 15 minutes, sharp runs. And then the other two days, I'd drag a couple of apprentices back and do finishing with them, crossing and shooting. Because I, I wanted, I was driving myself on, propelling myself to try and do better and get to that next step. And then Oxford came in for me. Well, they were in the same division, Oxford, but they were at the top. They were going to go up that year. And Jim Smith, great Jim, yeah. and Robert Maxwell yeah, Jim, yeah. came in for me and, and offered offered the, me to go there whilst Lenash wanted me at Sunderland. But they couldn't afford it. Funny enough, Sunderland couldn't afford the the fee, so um, so I went to Oxford. What 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 was the fee, John? Seventy eight grand. Oh, is this in uh, Maxwell's time there, John? 
Would that be with Maxwell at Oxford? Yeah, Rob. Rob and Maxwell bought me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. So, which was it was very interesting. Oh character, yeah. I have to say. Oh yeah. He, he, he didn't know much about football. He was he was some of the comments he made about football. He knew nothing, but he took over the club and he he put bits of well, he put quite a bit of money in, but. But he, he, I remember he liked me and um, he phoned up. He was, he was a, a top goal scorer for the first year. We went into, we went from the third to the second and straight from the second to the to the first, which is the Premiership now in in two years. And I top scored uh, thirty four goals in the second division. And and I, I was I was out in Hunts uh, Cross in in um, me, with my brother in laws one Sunday afternoon. And my wife come running over and she said, "John, Robert Maxwell's on the phone to you." I said, oh, yeah, all right then. I said, I said you know, I'll phone him later. He said, no, no, you've got to come now and speak to him. You know, he's, he's very abrupt. He was very terse. So I run across and I had about five pints. He said, John, <laughs> he said, <laughs> he, he said, he said, you better come down to Oxford now. I need to speak to you. I said, well, I, well, I can't, Mr. Mark. He says, you can and you will. Get down here. I want to offer you a new contract now. So I went to, I went to his office in Pergamon Press and I'll never forget... And he's once one end of the table behind a, a picture of Prince Charles, and I'm about twenty yards away in the table with the picture of the Queen behind me. And he's talking to me, saying, "There, what do you want, John?" And he's going through these figures, and, and my eyes are flickering, going, "What's going on here?" Yeah. And then he gave me one contract. And he said, "No." He took it away from me. He said, "You're much better than that." It's like Chris Tarrant on "You Want to Be a Millionaire." <laughs> me these checks and taking them away, you know. <laughs> so, so in the end, he gave me he gave me a contract, which was. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe what he gave me, you know. So, so that was nice of him. Wow, wow! Can you imagine that scenario being repeated now, where Klopp would? Oh, I know, yeah. Klopp would say, "I know you've had a couple of fights, but can you get yourself down and do what he did?" So, listen, John, that was a fantastic first word. What, what's your second word? Goal. 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 G O A L. Goal. Okay, so. Quickly, I'll do the etymology first. Recording the 1530s, meaning the end points of a race. Uh, definition in sports: it can be defined as a pair of posts linked by a crossbar, typically with a net in between, forming a space into which a ball has to be kicked. Or it can be the object of a person's ambition. In your case, it's probably yes. both. And then a couple of quotes: uh, "You are never too old to set a new goal or to dream a new dream." And Einstein said, if you want to live a happy life, tie it to a goal, not to people and not to things. So why did you pick goal, John? That's brilliant. And you know, all the things you said, again, like dedication was exactly what it was. My goal was always to play for Liverpool. I said to, I said to my wife, who was my girlfriend when I was 16, playing, playing in the Sunday League with the Blue Union and the Garston Woodcutters, I said, I'll play for Liverpool one day. And she says, you're crackers, you've always been crackers and you're still crackers. Um, and that was my goal and my goal to, was always to score goals as well I was it was like an illness if I didn't if we won a game and I didn't score I'd, I'd be really upset I'd be made up for the lads and the team and the club but I'd be really upset with myself it was, it was like a little bit of an illness I, have to say. I wasn't happy unless I was scoring goals even in training you know if I had enough day in training I wouldn't be happy with myself but for you John to have that goal to play for Liverpool and had that drive to do it at what stage, or was there ever a stage where you thought this isn't going to happen? Because you would have been what twenty-seven, were you, when you signed? I was. 
Yeah, John, yeah, I was, yeah. I was 27, mate, yeah. I might have been even 28. I you know, <laughs> can't remember. But uh, yeah, it was, I was late and Rushy was going to Juventus and yeah. Uh, yeah. I knew that. And I... I was doing I was doing pretty well for Oxford. I was always scoring twenty goals in the Premiership in the Premiership first, and we were we were a struggling side, you know, keeping our heads above water. And I, I played well against Liverpool at, at the Manor Ground. We drew two two, uh, and I, I done well. And I always I knew when Rushy was going, I'm thinking, you know, they're looking for a striker. You know, just you never know. Just keep on plodding away, and you you just never know. I was hoping more than thinking I would. But I always thought there was, because there was always links in the, in the press about players. And my name was brought up one or two times with Liverpool, which excited me anyway, whether it was true or not. And then, uh, obviously, when I got to know, it was it was very strange, you know, because we were playing Manchester City away, Oxford, at Main Road. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, I was rooming with Bobby McDonald. Do you remember the left-back, Bobby McDonald? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and he answered it, and it was Morris, Morris um, Evans, the manager, he, and he, he put the phone down and said, John Morris, the manager wants you in, in his, in, to go to his room. I went, what? He said, you're on your way, lad. But this was the morning of the game. So I went into the, the, the manager's the manager's room and um, he said, John, we, we've accepted an offer from a club for you. And I've gone, oh, no, I hope, I hope it's not Watford. I hope it's not Arsenal. Because I didn't fancy playing in, in, with all due respect to them clubs, I didn't fancy playing or going to, to London uh, in, in many ways. And, and he said, I think you'll like it. And I went, nah. He went, yeah, it's Liverpool. And, and you know what? I thought I was still dreaming. I, I, I was still in wow. bed and it was a dream. Um, but it was a crazy thing to do because before the game to tell me, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing against Man City in a few hours' time and my head was elsewhere. I had an awful game. Yeah. And I, I certainly didn't want to get injured. You know what I mean? But it was a crazy thing for the manager to do. I don't know why... But yeah, yeah. So, so that that's 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 how it happened. Can I ask them what was it like that day? You go up, and you sign the form, you go. I'm now, I've now reached my goal. Where all that dedication took me to, I'm now a Liverpool player. What was that like? To tell you the truth, they just give you the contract like that. So much a week, you know, appearance money, signing on fee, and I just signed it. Yeah, I, it didn't care to me whatever's on the form. You know, it wasn't an awful lot of money more than what I was getting on. Uh, rocked it to be quite honest but it didn't matter to me you know that was my goal as soon as I signed that paper that was one of the best days of my life because that's for 27 years that's all I ever wanted to do so I just I just signed it and then 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 it was done and and I felt you know I was so excited driving back to Oxford so you spent your whole life as a Liverpool lad dedicated to one goal with one a kind of madness you described it as and that madness, everything was focused about getting to Liverpool, playing for Liverpool in front of your own yeah. people. That first day, so as an actor, I'm nervous, I'm windy, I'm audited, but once, but once I'm on and I'm doing what I'm doing, it goes. When you came out onto that pitch that day, what kind of nerve levels did you have? And did you find that once the whistle went, the nerves left, or did you keep pinching yourself? My first, my home debut... Uh, was against Southampton and I'd been at the club for about four weeks um, I, I hadn't really played I was on the bench or something so my first full home debut was and it's a true story what happened was nil nil we were playing Southampton and with about 20 minutes ago Jan Mulby floated one of those lovely free kicks far post and I got there got, I got my head to it jumped and and put it in the far corner in off the post and Peter Shilton was in goal you know the English goalkeeper yeah. which made it better in a way and I always remember running back it was one of those feelings which, 
you can't describe. It's something that I dreamt about all my life. You know, I'd scored in the Anfield Road and lads have come over to me. I'm running back to the cop and 20,000 copites are singing my name. And I look above the crossbar into the cop where I stood all nearly all my, my youth, youthful life. No, my, my mates are still in that spec, oh. that same spot where we've gone week in, week out, looking at me scoring the far end. Right, and that right. was weird. That's one of the moments in your life where you want to put in a box, not the, like the birth of your first kid or whatever. You want to box it and keep it for the rest of your life because that was the moment that I lived for. It stood on the back of my neck. It was just one, one of those surreal moments. Wow, that's amazing. So your relationship with the Liverpool supporters, I think for people who who are not as close to the club, they won't completely understand because you are the epitome of one of us. Because you're, you're a Liverpool lad, because it was always your ambition, because it was a blatant ambition of yours, and your passion since you've played when you do the commentary and so on, you are watching the game as we all watch the game. And one of the things that summed it up for me as well was your last game at Anfield when you knew you were going. You virtually walked off naked because you threw you threw your shirts in the crowds, your boots. I didn't want to scare anyone else. I kept I kept my undies on. John. Yeah, uh, it was. I'd like it to have been under better circumstances because I was absolutely gutted, John. I'd, I'd played. I played like 104 games. I'd scored 63 goals. 63 in 104. Is that what you said? Yeah. My God. Yeah. My and God. it wasn't good enough for Kenny, so I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just weird. It's just weird, you know that the, you know the, the, the show me. I didn't want to go as much as I love Real Sociedad and I love the Basque people uh, of San Sebastian. I, I wanted to stay to, for the club. I was after a new contract. I was happy as Larry, even though Rushy come back. There's not a problem with that. Um, but like, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was really good. I was pushed out the door in many, many ways. Uh, but you know. I didn't know what to do at the end of the game, you know. It just it, it was off the cuff. The fans were singing my name. I'm a cop. I've always been a copite anyway. Uh, I used to go home and away on the special trains, watching the lads and everything. And uh, it was very. That was a very emotive. I have to say, running off the pitch there. It's one of the moments in my life where I don't really get upset, shed tears too much in my life. Uh, but but certainly did in that moment that that. To see the feeling, what what the fans taught to me, and I was leaving that, and it was the last time Liverpool here. It really got to me, you know. Yeah. Oh really yeah. yeah. But it was, well, we felt it, John, as a supporter. It was felt, and as you say, you know, statistically in your performances, it was one of those things where the the manager or the club seems to have made the decision, and you go, well, I don't I don't get it, but it is what it is, and it does it's. That's the part of the job, isn't it? You don't really get a, a negotiation. You just got to go with it. Spot on, spot on. You know, at the end of the day, if it didn't want me as much, I love the club as much as I love the fans. Having a bad, you know, that's it. You know, that's it. I had to go. That's it. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a realist, so yeah. I just went to, to Real Sociedad, and you know, they gave me a deal which I couldn't imagine, to be quite honest. You know, um, which had set us up for life in many ways, me and the family. So that, you know, and, and I went and repaid that back. I'd like to think as well. 
I told me what uh, I told you what occurred to me then, John, when you were talking. It's that in life, I think in an ordinary course of events, you don't really realise how important things are until you look back on them. And you can look back and say, well. It, but you actually knew at the time, the, the time you ran out onto that pitch for the first time, you knew the importance. And the last time you came off that pitch, you must have felt everything there and then. Yeah, well, you know, words words can't describe the feeling, you know, especially when, you know, through through life, I've, I've always, you know, you have your family, don't you? You have your mates, your family, obviously your family. But, but then, you know, through my life, you know, it, it's... Take away the clubs I've been to and Tranmere for 10 years, we were really love. You know, Liverpool's always been a part of my life, massive part of my life. You know, it's just a feeling I've got for the club because I was brought up that way. You know, to, to you know, you had your, your mum, your dad, your mates, and the Liverpool Football Club. That's what it was. Almost a religion, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you, and it, you know, it might, it might be Liverpool way, a lot of Evertonians are the same, a lot of fans in other clubs, but I have to say, there's something, and not being biased, there's something about. Liverpool. I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan. Yeah, John's a, obviously John's a massive Liverpool fan. I'm a Wednesday fan, and I'll grudgingly give you that there is something about Liverpool. <laughs> there is, there is. Even to people, not just the history of the club. I think the commitment to the passion in the club, and the link between the club and the city and its identity. I think, uh, I think Newcastle comes close to it a little bit, but I think Liverpool really is. A unique club. Yeah, no, I totally agree, you know. Uh, and as we talk about Sheffield, the Sheffield people after Hillsborough, you know, they were, were, were unbelievable. Yeah. They were fantastic, the Sheffield people, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. I mean, that, John, within your career has obviously got to be the darkest moments. Oh, yeah. And obviously it's been talked about so many times by, by so many people and it's not perhaps a... a place to go over it now because I know for you personally ripped a hole in you because as mm. you said you could have easily been on the terraces as been on the pitch yeah well if it wasn't a footballer I'd obviously I'd have been there that day you know you know the things might have panned out differently well fortunately a lot of good things have come out of it but you know it's one of those things you look every time I look back every day you know on the days you get upset you know when we had, we had to go, I think I ended up going to 11 or 12, can't remember, 12 funerals, you know, brothers, two sisters, uh, a father and son. You know, it was just, it was just uh, horrendous is the word. Yeah. And to carry on playing as well, the idea that, they, I mean, they carried on. Yeah, they went back to playing and then after the Hillsborough disaster, had the replay at Old Trafford three weeks later. I mean, can you imagine that? Absolutely. And then, and then having to perform at that level. Mm. It sort of shows you how things have changed because I would suspect now, if it happened, a lot of the players would be getting some more support than perhaps they did at the time because mental health is so much more understood now. Is, is that fair to say? You're spot on, John. You look back now, and at the time, it wasn't about us. We didn't care about ourselves. Yeah. We just cared about the families and the bereaved. We just looked after them. But looking back... I was like a I've been like a lunatic for years after that. I tell you, it did affect me, and I know it affected me. But the biggest, the biggest goals of my my career was the semi final. We we played the replay at Old Trafford yeah. and we won three one, uh, and I scored two. They're the biggest biggest goals I've scored in my life. That has to be when you look at it, because that that was the game, not the final. That was the game we had to win, not the final. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, that was the game. 
And I can't tell you how wound up I was before that game. I was so, so, oh, my stomach was in bits. Everything was in bits. How I got on the pitch, I don't know, but I managed to get a couple of goals. And after when that game, the, the pressure, the relief, knowing, the thought of us losing that game, I can't, I can't tell you how intense it was, you know. And then getting to the final then, the... the the, the big thing was obviously to, for the families to win that cup for them, to win the yeah. cup, not for us, but to win it for them and, and the, the, the 96, you know, uh, which thankfully we, we did at the end of the day. That was the big uh, motivation, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's, it's surprising, isn't it, when sports crosses tragedy to such an extent the thing that people would often think is that you'd go, well, well the, the game doesn't matter, the sport doesn't matter. But in some respects, it becomes more important, not it? Because it's the only way you can give back. Yeah, but John, you're right. You're supposed to, straight afterwards, I said it doesn't matter. Football doesn't matter. No, no. Um, me, 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 to be fair, my wife done really well. She, was, she kicked me kick me to get me up and going and get me motivation back again because it didn't matter. I didn't care about football. didn't care about anything. And then all of a sudden, the penny dropped and went, yeah, I got a couple of letters. I got some nice letters off the family saying, come on, John, we want you. This last, this the last thing that our, our so-and-so would want you, you know, come on, let's go, let's go. Definitely. Yeah. And definitely. That, that motivated uh, not just myself, but the, but the lads as well, you know. Uh, it had to, but that was the good thing that we had to do it for 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 them, you know, John. Definitely, definitely. Well, John, you've given us two two great words and great insights in life and as you as a person. What's your third word? My third word is a typical scout saying: sound, sound, sound. I know what sense you're going to use it, so I don't think I'll bother with the etymology. Um, <laughs> lots of definitions of sound is multiple definitions for it: vibrations that travel through the air in good condition, not damaged, imaged, or uh, or diseased, based on a valid reason or good good judgment. So I think it's probably in that sense, right? Yeah, and also, you know, the cop. The cops, the sound that comes from the Mersey Beats. I grew up like knowing about the Mersey Beat, about Liverpool, yeah. you know, and it become a typical scout saying about good, it's good, everything sound, it's good, it's great, whatever it was, you know, and it's a word that I use, yeah, and, and not just me, you know, a lot of people that you get to know in and around Liverpool, it's a, uh, yeah, it's class. It's funny actually, because it's one of the words that Tony always uses. I, yeah, I don't even know if you notice that you use it so much. No, I don't. <laughs> As a Yorkshire. But it's also interesting when you say that the sound, the noise of being on the pitch, you know, we start the conversation talking about the absence of the crowd and how that affects yeah. you. But you have had relationships with two of the most vocal groups of supporters on the planet yeah. in terms of the Liverpool supporters and the Irish supporters. Spot on, John. Yeah. Spot on. The, the old Lansdowne Road, the, the the noise that it generated. And to be fair, it was two open ends, really. There's two open ends, but, the, you know, when they got going, you know, I think with Liverpool people are very, very much like Irish people. And you look back in, in Liverpool history, you know, we are probably, well, we are 50% Irish in this city because the potato famine and, and so forth. Uh, and that's where I think a lot of the passion comes in this city. But you, you, you play in front of the, the the Irish, you know, especially at Lansdowne Road. They were unbelievable, 
unbelievable. And then the, the way they travelled, like Liverpool, everywhere, and give everything. Very excitable, like Scousers, you know, and they, they give you everything that they could vocally. Brilliant, yeah. So when you got that call off, because Jack Chant was famous for making anyone Irish he wanted to yeah. be Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how, did, how did the call-up come about? Well, I always knew about my mum's side. Me, me grandma was from Athlone and David Langan played for Oxford and we used to, I used to follow Ireland and England as, as a kid, you know, um, in sports, you know, especially football. Uh, and, and, and we used to talk and he said, you, you, you qualify? I said, oh, I don't know, I don't know, mate. He said, so uh, Owen Hand was the, was the manager at the time and Dave leaked it to the FAI and Owen got the sack uh, and then Jack Charlton come in and he, and he, and he heard, he, he must have heard about my, my availability and he came to watch me play. This is a true story. It was at Villa Park in the semi-final uh, first leg of, of the, the League Cup, the Milk Cup at the time and we drew 2-2 two, two, and I scored two and at, at the end of the game, I'm, I'm having a pint, as, as we used to always have a pint. Like, and, and next minute, I knew Jack was watching me. And he comes in the players' lounge and he marches over to me. And, and he comes, he's a big presence of a man, Jack. He's about 6'4". Yeah. He's got his cap on, big coat. And he comes up to me. Oh, John, well played. He said, great two goals. I said, thanks, Mr. Charles. He said, we know about your, your grand's family coming from Athlone. Do you want to play for me? Just like that. He said, I'm the new manager. Do you want to play for me? I said... I'd, be, I'd love to play for the Republic of Ireland. I'd be honoured to play for you, Jack. And he shook me hand. He said, job done. We'll get all the accreditation passed, you know, next week. And you can play in six weeks' time at Wales against Wales at Lansdowne Road. So I said, brilliant. And I, I said, do you see the lad over there next to Dave Lang and Ray Alton? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he played well tonight, didn't he? I said, yeah, I said, his dad's from Donegal. He said, is he? He can come and play for me. When he marched over, got Ray by the scruff of the neck. And he said, he said to Ray, do you want to play for me? So he got two for the price of one. Brilliant. You know, we never looked back since me and Ray. How did, how did he deal with you, Johnny? So if you stepped out of line with, with Big Jack, what, how, how, was it was it a row or did he blank you? Or uh, how did he deal with no, it? No, you wouldn't row with him. Because if you, if you tried to row with him, Tony, you'd have no chance. You've no. got no chance. I'll tell you what, what sums Jack up. Liam Brady, Liam Brady was coming to, towards the end of his career and he had the testimonial at Lansdowne Road against Germany. We win him 1-0 against West Germany, sorry. And Liam gave the ball away with five minutes to go at half-time and, and the Germans got hold of it, Mateus got hold of it, two passes, three passes in the back of the net. Jack got the number seven up and he substituted <laughs> Liam Brady. <laughs> He substituted Liam Brady before half time and it was testimonial. And he come in and he said, Anyone else does that, you will never play for me ever again. That's brilliant. Well you mentioned there, like when he when he came to see you, you're in the bar having a pint. And that's the thing that's changed. And and you know, one of the links with us is obviously we're we're sponsored by Quorn, Liverpool Football Club sponsored by Quorn. There's an interesting synergy within that because as you were saying you, Jack came to see you after the game when you were having a drink Brian though as well you were one of the first players to start looking at nutrition as an important part of your game yeah yeah it was a, uh, it was at Liverpool really it was me Gary Gillespie and Barry Venison there was a book called uh, Eat to Win Robert Haas his name was H-A-A-S I think uh, and it, it was really intriguing. It was really interesting about 
you know how to go about what to what to eat um what what to drink obviously i took her on board uh, we the three of us took her on board and, and the other lads you know like like it was sim- simplistic in, in its day you know obviously it was um uh, porridge in the morning with with, uh, with a banana which it's brilliant, but even now it's fantastic. Not much better than that. And then you know the other the other things. It was it's a bit raw compared to now, but it was really good, you know. Yeah. But you know when you look you look at the way the the players are treated now and the the whole everything's measured about them and and nutrition's a fundamental part of what they do as much as training. Do you wish you'd have had that opportunity yourself early on in my career? Yeah, but I, I was I was I said I was fortunate that. that I got onto this eat-to-win regime and then I went um, from Liverpool to Real Sociedad and the Basque people and, and Real Sociedad were, were really good where that come into, into play. Well, what to eat, what to drink. You know, uh, they used to weigh you before training and, and measure the drinks, what you'd have after training. And they they, they, give, they took the blood off you every couple of months and made sure if you're lacking something, they'd give you t- um, tablets, you know, vitamins and stuff. They were brilliant. So they took it, they took it an, another step further. So what was the diet when you were playing at Liverpool and stuff? What was the pre-match meal Lager. then? And steak. The pre-match meal. Yeah. You wouldn't believe well, it. You wouldn't believe it. Well, Tony just hit on it. Uh, the first pre-match meal I had with, with Liverpool, and it, it wasn't much different in other clubs. It was that three three o'clock kickoff, twelve o'clock in the old moat house in town. Yeah, Rush, Rushy and Barnes, you'd have the biggest steak you've ever seen in your life uh, with beans. Uh, I'd have like chicken and beans, and it'd be like half a roast chicken, not bull chicken, roast chicken. And then afterwards, Ronnie Miranda would go round and you, you, you full up. He'd say, come on, lads, there's rice pudding there. Get it down. You, that'll do you good for the game. Rice pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God. And we, 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 to be fair, we were fantastic. Imagine what we would have been like if we were eating the right yeah. stuff. Yeah. But for you, though, like you, you play professional till, you know, 39, weren't you, really? 39, 40. Would you put that down to the fact that you you started taking other considerations off the pitch, such as your diet and so on, into consideration of how you prepared? Yeah, I think two things really, John. That and and the fact that I was a late starter. Yes, I was a late developer. Some players who start maybe when they're like 15, 16, 17, maybe they get to 32, 33, you know. I didn't like um, smash my body in at an age when I was until I was like twenty one. If you, if that makes sense, you know, and going to the gym and all that. But uh, I think that helped a little bit. But the fact that you know, especially you know, that eat to win book and then going to to Real Sociedad enabled me to 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 do the right things. You know, w- w- within limits. You know, hey, there's still times when you go out and, and have a right good bevy and have a, a good, right good laugh. Yeah. Picked and chose when they when they were the, way, the ones because I wanted to play. I was always told by by players, elder play, players who I looked up to, play till you drop. But because once you stop playing, you you, you know you won't half you won't half feel it. It's it's, it's a nightmare. Playing's always the best, and they, they were right. And I was very fortunate that I didn't have any real bad injuries in my career, yeah. you know, and I was able to play till I was nearly 40, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And also now when you look at it, as you say, you know, there was that eat to win and the changes in the diet then. Now, and again, this is the, the thing that players have got now and why probably Quan's involved with Liverpool and so on. There's so many other different sources of protein that you can get clean food in you 
a lot easier now than what you could have done then. Oh yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. The, you know, the, it, it's, it's fast now. The, all the all the hey, and there's some great stuff out there whether it's vegetarian or you know so, some of the some of the recipes are amazing. You know, absolutely. So listen, John, we've asked you for uh, three words that were brilliant, to be fair. Dedication, goal and sound. But we always ask people at the end for one word that happily never hear again. What would be yours? I think you'll agree with me on this one, John. Wimbledon. (laughs) (laughs) Wimbledon Football Club. Oh yeah. no! I, never, yeah. I didn't want just, to ask. Yeah. Just yeah. Wimbledon. I didn't want to ask when yeah. you saw about the FA Cup yeah. final yeah. before. I didn't want to mention it. Yes, absolutely. You know, I've, in, 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 in my lifetime, I've been to places either and everywhere, and you always get a smart ass coming up to you and going, "Wimbledon, Wimbledon," and go, "Oh, give me a break." So, for those people who don't know, talk us through it. Do we have to? <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> just, just, just the lines, John. Ah, do you know what? It was just. It's just a nightmare. We had such the season we had, we we had we were untouchable and 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 that game. Uh, it was just just one of those FA Cup ties that we've seen over the years. Uh, it wasn't meant to be. It was just it was just, it was just crazy, you know. Yeah. They were brilliant to be fair. Give them full credit. Right through every one of their players topped top. They were all nine out of tens. We we didn't play well on the day. One nil down. Obviously. Uh, Peter Beasley scored a goal which should have been allowed he didn't play the advantage and, and then you know the, the the game's going on and on and we're struggling we're really struggling and then we get a penalty I I, I don't think it was a penalty to be honest I think the lad got the ball and then uh, the rest is history you know the first first fellow ever to miss a penalty in, in, in the cup final you know it's, always, I've stu- it's stuck with me ever since uh, <laughs> and to be fair John if you were to play that game today and to Today's conditions, Wimbledon would probably have about seven players on the pitch after the first. <laughs> they were good lads, to be fair. I got to know a lot of the Wimbledon lads, and they were good, honest lads. Yeah. Uh, uh, but do you know what the f- f- funny story is? That was my last kick of the game. Kenny substituted me just afterwards. No, I remember. I remember you you because because I, I was desperate for you to have the opportunity to put it right because I knew you probably would have done. Well, that's it, John. That's that's what hurt me more. I, I, I was shocked that Kenny brought me off and put Craig Johnson on. You know, because I was always, with all due respect to Craig, more likely to get a gold than possibly Craig would. But but that's what it was. Yeah, I was I was gutted. But I, I suppose the thing is, like all of the, all of these moments in life, you were there to do it. You know, all of the journey that you had all the way up to playing for Liverpool was one day to be at an FA Cup final and say, "I'll take the pen." For want of a better phrase, that's the balls of the man in it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at it, John. Thanks for that, mate. Yeah, um, doesn't make me feel any better, like to be quite honest. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> you meant well. <laughs> no, but yeah, you know. I, do you know what, John? I have to say, John, I was really confident. I was really confident, you know. But normally, I I I, I do a little bit of a skip before and wait to the yeah. goalkeeper to go. But it, it, I think the moment got the be- the better of me. It got a little bit of the better than me, and um, ah, you know, and it's it, it, it's a great save by best. I was going to say, yeah, it was a save. I think, I think if it's a save, it's not a miss. You know what I mean? Yes, I agree with you, Paul. It's real act penalties. Just let him feel his pain, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't listen. I've loved loved talking to you as always. It's been great to have a catch up. Thanks a, a million for doing this. I really appreciate it under these odd, difficult, weird circumstances. 
But you've been a fantastic guest. Oh, look, look, great to talk to you, Tony, and you, John, obviously. Yeah. And it was great to waste an hour of this COVID that we've got to get through. Yes, yeah. mate. Yes, mate. Lovely to meet you, John. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. Take care, lads. All the very best. What a journey. What a life. Yeah. What a life. Yeah, what a, there's a few things in there that came out there. I'll be honest, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that he'd played Sunday and Saturday leagues and I certainly yeah. didn't know that he didn't get to Liverpool till he was 28 and the idea of playing at Newport between the ages of 20 and 24, 25 I mean it's unthinkable now isn't it if it... Yeah I agree Tony I think he was a brilliant guest and so 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 honest but I think he was being a bit harsh on himself because I th- I'm sure in fact I know now because I have checked that he's not the first person to miss a penalty um, in the FA Cup final because it says on the commentary somebody missed in 1913 and also he he, was, he did score the following year when we played Everton in the final and got us got us ahead and that's that's when we won what was known as the Hillsborough final so so yeah but brilliant career and, and, and great to talk to you and what a record so thanks for listening to this special episode that has come to you in our partnership with Quorn the meat free option for protein it's a special episode I hope you've enjoyed it if you're new to Three Little Words please like it subscribe give us a review and listen to some of the other episodes because we have got some brilliant brilliant episodes and the feedback that we're getting back from this is, is really gratifying so thanks a lot for listening In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Reyes Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Enhance your listening experience with Wondery+. Plus. Enjoy ad-free listening, exclusive content, binges, and more. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.